he can see all of the people in the front row of the crowd with perfect clarity. They are all done up in their wildest and fanciest avatars, hoping that David, the Black Sun's owner and hacker-in-chief, will invite them inside. They flicker and merge together into an hysterical wall. Stunningly beautiful women, computer airbrushed and retouched at 72 frames a second. A liberal sprinkling of black and white people, persons who are accessing the metaverse through cheap public terminals and who are rendered in jerky, grainy black and white. There are would-be rock stars done up in laser light as though they just stepped off the concert stage. And the avatars of Nipponese businessmen, exquisitely rendered by their fancy equipment, but utterly reserved and boring in their suits. There's one black and white who stands out because he's taller than the rest. The street protocol states that your avatar can't be any taller than you are. This is to prevent people from walking around a mile high. Besides, if this guy is using a pay terminal, which he must be to judge from the image quality, it can't jazz up his avatar. It just shows him the way he is, except not as well. He has long hair parted in the middle like a curtain to reveal a tattoo on his forehead. There's no way to see the tattoo clearly, but it appears to consist of words. He has a wispy Fu Manchu mustache. Hero realizes that the guy has noticed him and is staring back, looking him up and down, paying particular attention to the swords. A grin spreads across the black and white guy's face. It is a satisfied grin, a grin of recognition. The grin of a man who knows something Hero doesn't. He steps as close as he can and leans forward. He's so tall that the only thing behind him is empty black sky torn with the glowing vapor trails of passing animercials. Hey, Hiro, the black and white guy says. You want to try some snow crash? You are watching this road. The book was originally published in 1992, and now that the technology that it describes is a reality, it got me thinking, what types of hacks may we see in VR? Like before it was computer hacks, those would take control of your computer's files, or, or even key logs that track computer accounts. But now that the hardware we're using is symbiotically in tune with our sight, vision, and sense of self, what may happen? Inside of headsets, there's a chaperone, right? Basically a holographic border that marks out where the play area ends and where it begins. In theory, a bad actor could create a communicational link between the virus and the device that says expand chaperone by one foot every five minutes. Before you know it, you're killing a zombie in game, but also simultaneously about to smash your shin against the coffee table. This could also be exploited to move the player if they are in a larger environment. So if the rule says every five minutes, don't expand the chaperone, but move it by five feet, the player that's also moving in game wouldn't be the wiser, resulting in their play space moving from location to location until 
they fall off the edge of a building. <laughs> this isn't much of an issue nowadays as most people use their headset inside, but in the future, if headsets become more compatible with the outside world, this hack could control the user in the physical world without them even knowing it. Now entering sector D97. A lot of the content we're jumping in and out of is user generated. And there's so much content being generated on a daily basis that it's impossible for any one person or company to moderate it. So likely we'll see the route of the internet where only illegal stuff is really taken down as it should be, I think. But this can also introduce exploits, right? That don't necessarily take control of the HMD, but rather abuse what is already there. We've all seen those jump scare videos, right? Now let's expand this. The HMD is emulating sight and sound. So a bad actor could in theory create a world experience or a script that looks like a normal thing. But when the user interacts with it, their sight is overtaken by disturbing or flashing images. Their sound is corrupted by extremely loud noises. Whereas before this could be brushed off as an annoying prank, the technology is becoming more symbiotic with our senses. Like perhaps we'll have earbuds that work directly within our eardrums for pristine quality. These could also then damage our senses by being overloaded. Perhaps a way to combat this will be hardware safety measures that cut off once it reaches a certain decibel. You're waiting for the train at the station. You have augmented reality glasses on and you're simply browsing social. Then a street performer begins playing on the platform, a really talented street performer. Meanwhile, as you have your attention on this person, someone else pickpockets you while your gaze is turned. When the deed is done and the thief is far away, the street performer disappears and you're none the wiser. As devices get smaller, they may not render graphics directly on the device itself, but rather stream it through 7G, right? So Hackerman could deploy a futuristic equivalent of Stingray. Stingray is the generic commercial term for a device otherwise known as an IMSI catcher. The Stingray impersonates a legitimate cell tower to trick nearby mobile phones and other wireless communication devices into connecting to them. Intercepting the graphics into displaying whatever the hacker wants us to see, in this case a talented street performer, can literally bend reality around us. It's like a facade that manipulates reality, making it possible for actual reality to be Disrupted. behind that facade. Cyberpunk 2077 now in the hands of millions across the globe. I think it's interesting how video games look like this when yesterday they looked like this, right? We went from ones and zeros to AI guided algorithmic animation. We do see an increase in fidelity, but I think what we'll see is a larger increase in the scope of games, the size, the mass of these worlds that we enter. Experiences like Red Dead and now Cyberpunk almost feel like simulations that we're peering into, and I think that will only grow, mainly guided by increasingly complex worlds that have a mix of human design and artificial intelligence to fill in the gaps. In the case of Cyberpunk, it's the first game to use this facial animation software called Jelly. Your cortisol and adrenaline spiked, but the soft activated your hormone blockers. Nothing happened. You're alive and well. Essentially, 
it's only reading the vocal performances of the audio files, and then generating lip movements and facial animations from it. Whereas before an animator would have to animate each and every word on hundreds of NPCs, this system allows for thousands of NPCs with the polishing being done by humans if need be. Respire à fond. Tief durchatmen. Respire con calma. Mama schön husi. Und du dich ein Bock. Respire lenti Hello, my name is Pete Dryden, and I'm going to show you how to melt cheese in a microwave. You will need cheese, a plate, and a microwave. The first step is to take your cheese out of the fridge. Then, put the cheese on your plate. At their current states, brain-to-computer interfaces allow us to communicate simple commands to the computer. To do this, modern-day BCIs capture about 256 electrodes. Upcoming companies such as Neuralink claim to capture as much as 3,072 electrodes, meaning that not only is the signal increasing, but the data that this signal is processing is also increasing. And it's possible that this data will be unlike anything we've seen before, whereas previously, information was limited to our browsing habits, search history, conversations. Now, the data may be literal passwords that we think of when we type them out our reaction time to certain images or videos, the patterns of thought that we send to our devices to search up important information such as, this information could then in theory be intercepted and turned into not a keylogger, but a, but that's just information being intercepted from brain to computer, right? What about computer to brain? Well, just recently a paper was published out of Stanford. It describes something called deep brain optogenetic stimulation. It has to do with altering the behavior of mice by sending near-infrared light into their brains. A process of behavior modification has been observed previously in mice that are implanted with physical wires. These wires then send electrical signals to the minds. But this new method doesn't require implants. Instead, the mice's hippocampus are injected with something called MINDS. It's actually called MINDS, macromolecular infrared nanotransducers. When the near-infrared light is placed about 40 centimeters above the scalp, the solution called MINDS absorbs that light and creates a sort of neural activation within the brain. The mice that had this injected and with the light shined on them were observed to have an increase in their rotation speed like their actual movement speed, and they also preferred the area that had the light shining on them. So if we zoom out, and in the future, if this technology is implemented into humans, hopefully where we don't have to inject our minds with minds, but it's we don't have to use too much imagination to see how this could be hijacked, right? Which brings us back to Snow Crash. The Snow Crash virus hijacks users by playing out a sequence in the VR goggles. This sequence brainwashes the user into being controlled. While I don't believe this to be possible just visually and auditorily as the book suggests, it's possible that technology such as Deep Brain could be used to do something similar, right? Or say, attempt to influence us to buy something if it makes us feel something when we see an advertisement. Or perhaps the hacker man could overheat it and fry our brain while then running off with our bank accounts. It's a dark look at technology, right? And what I'm describing is kind of science fiction at this point. But I think for every bad player, for every bad situation, there's always the good players. 
the good situations fighting for the light. Before the invention of the internet, there were people predicting what dangers may arise from it, right? And certain dangers certainly have arisen from it, but to stifle advancement in fear of what may go wrong, I think is counterproductive. I believe the best route is then formulating what may go wrong, formulating ways to combat it, and then moving forward into the unknown consciously. At the end of the day, that's what we all do, each and every minute, each and every day, and each and every second, right? And hey, at the very least, if we do have to dodge brain and virtual reality hacks, at least we'll be able to browse infinite memes simply by thinking. Butter dough, the dog with the butter, butter dough, I'll got the butter dough, the dog with the butter, butter dough, I'll got the butter dog, butter dough. predicted we may enter the singularity, the point at which technological growth becomes irreversible, resulting in unforeseen consequences within the next few decades. But have no fear. If you, if you can't beat it, join it. That's... <laughs> We're seeing a huge increase in the mention of neural networks. They're doing cool things like this hand that learned to walk on its own. But what's less clear is how they operate, even why they operate. Brilliant has this really cool course that dives deep into the internal machinery of artificial neural nets through hands-on experiments. By taking this course, you can develop intuition about the kinds of problems neural nets are suited to solve. And by the end, you'll not only be able to dive into algorithms, you'll be able to build one for yourself. You can arm yourself with the power of knowledge via brilliant.org disrupt for free. Or if you want to unlock all 60 plus courses, the first 200 people that sign up with a link will get a free seven day trial of premium plus 20% off the annual subscription. Equip yourself for the future at brilliant.org slash disrupt. see high fidelity, but similar cultural impact to that of established industries. Like, uh, let's take a slice of the sports industry, right? It has been around for ages. The idea of cheering for a team, following that team as players compete against other players, this is then mirrored into the virtual world. We have these digital gladiators competing against each other through an array of pixels that have very real-world prizes. In 2006, we see the release of the Wii and its breakthrough in motion-based gameplay. Over the next decade, we see the continual growth of the industry with titans like World of Warcraft, GTA, Assassin's Creed. This is the era of big budget gaming and probably where we see the biggest advancement in terms of fidelity. The Titanics. Like the games of 2005 look so different than the games of 2010. I think games of 2010 look so different than the games of 2015. Seattle-based company releases a program that was originally meant to allow for easier updates to their games. It then grows into something much larger, an entire PC platform for the purchase and download of digital games. Steam 
This establishes gaming outside of consoles and makes it more convenient than classic disc installs. Now we see Microsoft throwing their hat in the ring with the Xbox, releasing their hit Halo. The critics and the players loved the game. So just before the turn of the century, the games we've seen up to this point are single player, local multiplayer. That changes after Sega rises from the ashes of failed products and releases the Dreamcast. It wouldn't be a huge hit in the market, but it was a technological breakthrough in the sense that it allows for online gameplay, such as the industry classic that I'm sure you're all familiar with, 18-wheeler American Pro Trucker. The dawn of the PlayStation. Switching the industry from cartridges to CD-based games allowed for a massive amount of data to be stored on any single disc, ushering in 3D textures and polygons to coat the base of ones and zeros. In the era of classic action movies, we also begin to see shooters taking on gore and violence. With the release of Mortal Kombat and Doom, the industry needed a way for parents to know what games were appropriate for their children. Thus, the ESRB was born. While traveling on a Shinkansen, or a bullet train, a Japanese developer takes notice of a bored businessman playing with an LCD calculator by pressing buttons. An idea springs into his mind. A watch that doubles as a minigame to pass the time. He then goes on to create Game & Watch while working at Nintendo. These devices serve as the foundation for the Game Boy that the same developer, Yokoi, releases in 1989 with great success. Here we see the launch of the NES and Mario. This was a huge step above the previous consoles, mainly the graphics and extra memory. From Atari's measly 128 bits to a whopping 2 kilobytes. Tragedy hits the industry. E.T. The game was released, and I googled why it's considered one of the worst games ever made. Apparently, according to the Video Game History Foundation, reviewers from the era found the game confusing, clunky, hard to learn, with bad graphics even for the time. In that same year, Atari emptied out a warehouse near the desert city of Alamogordo, New Mexico, dumping nearly 800,000 games into the landfill, much of those including copies of the failed E.T. Over the next five years, Atari establishes itself as the leaders by releasing the Atari 2600, featuring games like Space Invaders, Donkey Kong, and Frogger. This is Hound Dog 7, over. Uh, a German boy is born in the midst of Nazi Germany. He and his family flee the country and settle in Bronx, New York. Here, the kid works at a factory, then takes a course to learn radio repair. From there, he serves as an intelligence officer in World War II before moving to Chicago and earning a degree in television engineering. This lands him a job at Sanders Associates in New Hampshire. The company focuses on aircraft self-protection systems and tactical surveillance. While working there, the engineer from Germany has an idea, a light bulb moment, a box that can be connected to a television that enables interaction between two people. He proposes the idea to the company and surprisingly enough, they give him a budget of 2,500 and a few engineers to mess around with building a prototype. This would become Ralph H. Bear's contribution to the gaming industry, the brown box. Magnavox licenses the system and calls it the Odyssey, the first commercial home video game console. 
This same year, Atari releases Pong, and the world of video games begins growing across the public psyche. I always thought Pong was the first video game. Turns out it was a game called Nim. So you have four rows. You start and can remove any number of dots from a single row. Then the computer can remove any number of dots from a single row. Then you, alternating until there's only one dot left. Basically, you win if you are leaving the last dot for the other player. It's surprisingly difficult, but it's simple. It's like literally a game of one and zero, right? Which is extremely fitting for the start of the video game medium. A medium that I think harkens back to perhaps the earliest form of storytelling, right? We're building these complex stories on top of code, which is basically what we were doing before around the campfire, except instead of code, This humble legion soldier is at your service. Yeah, what is up? Um, I remember from the time I first tried VR for the first time, like a VR station in a mall. I went into VR for the first time, which was a really interesting experience as I've only ever seen it in YouTube videos before. Mi multiple minutes after I've entered, uh, I felt like I could take myself out and back into VR while still wearing the goggles and while still opening my eyes. Like, while I could feel the like, feel I am in VR, and also at the same time I could take myself out and suddenly reconnect with the real world without having, like, the restriction of all this in VR. I feel like I could even see the world while being in the VR goggles. Like, I was in two different realities. Thank you for having me. Man, our, our clever human lives in a maze. <laughs>